Welcome to the Unfiltered Podcast with me, Joe Warner, and powered by Ultimate Performance, the world's premier personal training experience that delivers maximum results in minimum time. In each episode of the Unfiltered Podcast, I interview the most respected, celebrated, and controversial experts in the fields of health, fitness, nutrition, well-being, and performance to help you find the life-changing advice you need to live smarter. Remember, you can find all of our exclusive unfiltered documentaries, video interviews, and investigations at unfilteronline.com and the Unfiltered Extra YouTube channel. And now, on with the show. I'm very familiar with your work, but there might be some people out there who aren't. You've been on the carnivore diet since 2016. Could you give me a little bit of background about what led to that moment, the decision to go carnivore? What prompted that and what were the immediate lessons you learned? Well, I mean, it was kind of a culmination of about a decade of just experimenting with nutrition to to try to improve my own health. You know, I I think uh, that started probably in my early 40s when I kind of got to a point where despite you know, prodigious exercise. I was, you know, I was literally a world champion athlete, uh, but I was developing uh, most likely what was metabolic disease. And uh, I didn't like that, as you might imagine, as a physician, I'm like, well, I should be able to figure this out. And so I ran through the gamut of all different types of different dietary strategies. And, and just over time, I kept, you know, reading about it, learning about it, came across a bunch of people doing this all, all meat diet, which I thought was absolutely crazy. <laughs> you know? And, uh, but I mean, I I just was curious enough to, to actually try it myself. And I ended up trying it for just at at first, you know, a day or two here. And then I kind of progressed until I got to about, uh, a 30 day stretch where, uh, at the end of the 30 days, I was remark, you know, it was remarkable to me that how good I felt. I was like, this is really the, literally the best I felt. And as long as I could remember, you know, uh, you know, several decades. And so, um, uh, I, you know, had ended that experiment, went back to a more sort of normal, <laughs> normal person diet and immediately felt worse and I didn't like it. So I said, well, I'm just going to go back on this whole meat thing. And so that was sort of the genesis. And then, of course, obviously, you know, people found out about it. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have now since done that. I've written a book about that. And uh, uh, yeah, and so I spend, uh, you know, most of my day <laughs> talking about nutrition, meeting people that have that have used this diet for uh, the resolution of just darn near every single medical condition you can think of. And so it's been a, it's been a fascinating, uh, fascinating journey. You're obviously seven years in now. Is the first reaction when you tell people what you do still that you must be crazy? Uh, it depends on the circles I'm talking to. I mean, you know, I, not so much to me, uh, just because, you know, I mean, a lot of people are asking me what I eat. You know, I get people up in the grocery, hey man, what do you eat? You know, you look pretty good. You know, so I tell every once in a while you can tell a look of shock, but I mean, most people I encounter these days, honestly, know, know who I am, know what I'm about. I mean, they, they don't, it's not really like I'm, I'm revealing it for the first time, but every once in a while I'll be out socially and it'll come up in a discussion. There's usually some look of surprise and most of the time people want to know more about it. You know, I mean, you know, like I'm sure some people are thinking, yeah, this dude's a, a whack job, <laughs> but I mean, as far as them saying it to me, I don't really hear that that often, to be honest. For people who aren't familiar with you, Dr. Baker, could you give us a very quick overview of your, what a day's food looks like? Because I think there will be some people watching this who just cannot get their head around what a carnivore or meat diet looks like. Could you give us a little bit of color of what a day looks like? Well, I mean, for instance, today so far I had a steak and I'll have a steak for dinner. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty, uh, you know, uh, I, I will say, you know, in the last seven years, my diet has been probably 97% just red meat, particularly. 
particularly beef. I mean, that's that's literally 97% of my diet without exaggeration. Now to that, sometimes I'll have some eggs. Sometimes I'll have a few dairy products. Um, sometimes I'll have various other types of meat, like some seafood, some lamb, pork. Uh, I really, I think I've had chicken like two or three times in the, in the entire seven years I've been doing this. And that's pretty much it. Now, occasionally, like I said, this isn't a religion for me. Occasionally, I have something that is not "quote unquote" carnivore, piece of cake or a piece of fruit or something like that. But that, I mean, that the 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 regularity which I do that is so insignificant. It might be once a year, twice a year, maybe. That's I consider that incons, you know, insignificant. But by for all intents and purposes, my diet is basically beef. I mean, that that's it for the most part. On that rare occasion where you do have a, a slice of cake or, or some berries. With the sugar coming in, do you notice a difference? Do you almost have that kind of hangover the day after? Uh, it depends. I mean, I, again, I don't do it very frequently. I mean, I remember one particular time I had a piece of, you know, it's kind of funny. I had a piece of my kid's birthday cake and I got sick. I mean, I literally got sick to my stomach. And then, you know, six months later, it was, it was another child's birthday and they had a piece and I, and I had a piece and I was totally fine. So it, it, I can't say it's been, it's been miserable. And again, I don't, I usually consume such a small amount. It might be like, a bite of a piece of watermelon or something, you know, my, my, my partner is, uh, she is mostly carnivore, but she'll have a piece of fruit here and there. And everyone says, you got to taste this is so good. I say, okay, I'll have a bite. And usually that's has minimal to no impact on me. So I don't really, I mean, I don't, you know, the reason I don't consume that on a regular basis more, cause I just don't want it. Honestly, I don't, I don't, I don't really like, Ooh, I really want to eat that. It's something that I, I don't really paint myself into any kind of particular corner, like, you know, some sort of ideological or almost religious like corner. But I mean, if I don't want something, I'm not going to eat it. And, and generally, and honestly, at this point, you know, mostly I want to eat a steak. <laughs> it seems weird, but I mean, that's, I look for, I, I look forward to every single time I sit down and have a steak. It's it, to me, it is a very uh, enjoyable experience. I get a lot of pleasure out of it. I must be, it must be so boring, but surprisingly, you know, the, the reward you would think you'd get from these various foods, the pastas, the pizzas, you, you, you know, if you eat them, you're like, you know, that wasn't that good. I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't feel the same level of satiation and enjoyment that I get out of what I think is, you know, perhaps, you know, more appropriate food, I suppose. One of the biggest criticisms of the carnivore diet will be the lack of nutrients you might be getting from a diet. I wanted to talk about how you, you counterbalance that to make sure that you are getting the nutrients dense diet you need. But I think the one thing I wanted to focus on is fiber, right? And I know you get asked this question a lot. It's not only the, research around colorectal prevention of cancer that the fiber prevents also a lot of evidence that eating fiber with meat can counteract some of the alleged negative effects of, of eating too much meat how do you where do you stand on fiber well i think it's completely un, uh, not necessary i mean it's not an essential nutrient i hear we hear some people you know like the u.s require you know the u.s i think recommendations are around 25 grams of fiber per day um I literally have had uh, effectively, I mean, like I said, outside of those few times I, I, I deviate from the diet, effectively had no fiber in seven years. And I have not seen any sort of negative deleterious consequences to this so far. I have normal bowel movements. I don't have any constipation issues. I mean, uh, I think fiber is conditionally beneficial. I mean, I think, you know, you think uh, often it is a marker of overall dietary quality. So if, if your diet is filled up, 
you know, fruits and vegetables and arguably whole grains. Uh, that is probably better than a diet filled with refined grains and sugary stuff and desserts and cookies and cakes and, th- and you know, sodas and things like that. And so I think what happens is in most of these cases, you know, what is the comparator group? When you look at a fi- higher fiber diet versus a lower fiber diet, you're usually comparing an absolute atrocious diet versus one that's maybe a little higher quality. So I think that probably is most of the benefits of fiber. Um, you know, there've been some interventional trials where fiber has not really been all that effective. Um, you know, it's, I mean, some of the benefits are at best sort of marginal. Uh, so, I mean, like I said, I think fiber, you know, again, it's conditionally beneficial. If you're eating a junk food diet, yeah, eat all fruits and vegetables. It's, gonna, it's probably going to help you out. I think in the context of a carnivore diet, I don't see where it's providing any significant benefit. I think those, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, uh, maybe some polyphenols mitigating some of the quote-unquote carcinogenic properties of meat. I, I don't think that the evidence really shows that meat is a carcinogen. I mean, I know there's this World Health Organization position paper from 2015 uh, where they, they classified it as a class two carcinogen, you know, unprocessed red meat as a class two carcinogen. And I mean, that, 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 that uh, sort of statement was based on some quite bad, you know, some very weak evidence. I mean, it was all mostly epidemiologic papers. They threw out... Uh, a guy named David Clorfield, Professor David Clorfield, sat on that committee. He basically said, look, this is the most biased, most you know, miserable experience of my academic career because they basically sat there and threw out all the evidence they didn't agree with. They didn't even consider it. And then they also failed to disclose any ethical concerns. And some like 30% of the committee was either vegetarian, vegan, or Seventh-day Adventist. And so there was a huge bias to that. So I don't buy that that red meat is a carcinogen. I think that... And even if you take it at its face value and you say, hey, this World Health Organization is, is a gold standard and it's rock solid. I mean, you have to look at the absolute risk. I mean, it, cha- it, cha- it, it puts your lifetime risk of colorectal cancer from 4% to 5%. It's a 1% absolute risk difference. There are many, many, many things that have much higher effect, obesity, diabetes, you know, particularly inflammatory bowel diseases. I mean, inflammatory bowel disease, if you have that, your risk for colorectal cancer is, is something like a 3,000 percentage increase. You know, it's like a 30, 30, 30x increase. What happens to people when they go on carnivore diets with, with inflammatory bowel disease is most often it, it puts it in remission. And so, you know, the inflammation goes away. And so I think there's so many, th- so many, like, you know, cancer isn't, isn't, isn't one factor. It's probably thousands of them. And, and I think the diet basically lowers the majority of them. You know, the obesity, the diabetes, the chronic inflammation, uh, you know, the, the many other things that are going on. And and you have this one small risk factor that perhaps is, you know, increased. Although, I, again, I, I, I even I don't even necessarily buy the the, <laughs> the presumption that meat meat has caused cancer, as, as, as you know, suggested by the IARC from, from the World Health Organization. So. I get as well that the criticism of some of the research and what the World Health Organization put out, you can look at who's funding it, you can look at who's deciding what is published, and then you can cherry pick whatever data you want, right? This is one of the biggest issues with nutritional science is it's very hard to do quality research on large numbers of people. But what I want to ask you, Dr. Baker, is so many other leading figures in, in this space have said that the carnivore diet is the most dangerous of all the dietary approaches anyone could follow for elevated lipids, cardiovascular disease, uh, cholesterol, metabolic syndrome. Why are so many people without the vested interest so critical of the approach you follow? Well, I mean, you know, I'm not sure I've heard the, the metabolic syndrome one, but well, I guess there's some people suggesting maybe there's a diabetic component. Well, I mean, you know, first of all, look at the results of people getting it because everything they're talking about is, is purely theoretical. It is purely speculative, right? We think 
that eating a lot of meat is going to lead to greater risks of heart disease, you know, based upon uh, some association data we have. Now, the better way to test that would be, okay, let's just, let's just see what's happening. Maybe, um, you know, maybe uh, red meat in isolation is fine, but when you mix it into a junk food diet, it, it, it becomes a problematic, problematic factor. I mean, that's, that's a very plausible, uh, you know, thought. I mean, it could be that having gut dysbiosis and then having uh, the, the uh, you know, heme iron or whatever you want to, whatever component of red meat you want to say in that situation is a problem. So we don't, we, we've never tested, you know, a, a meat diet in, in the concept of, you know, not much junk food, you know, primarily maybe just a whole foods diet. There's not, not, not a lot of data on that, particularly meat heavy diet. I mean, there's, you know, there's like, you know, a little bit of data on that. If you look at like, oh, I don't know, some of the Asian populations where they haven't really sort of adopted the processed foods like we have in the West, they tend to have better outcomes. And so that, you know, to me, uh, this diet is meat plus no junk food. It's very much different than meat plus junk food. So, I mean, there's that. Um, there is uh, some evidence that, you know, elevations in LDL cholesterol in certain circumstances may be not particularly harmful. I mean, there's a, there's a great study going on that will be completed in February. This is uh, Dr. Matthew Budoff and Dave Feldman are doing this uh Research, uh, the so-called lean mass hyperresponder study where they've got a hundred people that, uh, all had sky high LDL cholesterol. I mean, like high as you can get, super high, you know, total cholesterol, five, six hundred millimeters or, or milligrams per deciliter. I don't know what units you're, cause you're, where are you at? Where, where are you from? You're from in the UK. You, you, you use a different number. So whatever the super highest number you can think of on your, on your millimeters <laughs> number. And they've got a hundred of them and they've, they've, uh, their average age are old or they're in their mid fifties. They're not young. They're relative, they're perfect heart attack range. Uh, and they've been doing high fat diets and had high cholesterols for at least four to five years on average. And their baseline data shows with, with very high level precision scanning, you know, uh, uh, CT angiography, which is like literally about as good as you can get. They show minimal to no cardiovascular disease. I mean, this, this is just a baseline and they're going to run them for a year and, and recheck them and see if anything has developed in that time frame. But I mean, so there, it could be that it's conditional, you know, it could be that, you know, or dependent, you know, it could be that LDL cholesterol is a dependent variable, you know, yes, it's a problem. It's an independent, you know, it's independent, but depending on what else is going on, are you, are you, do you have metabolic syndrome? You know, diabetes seems to be a bigger predictor for cardiovascular disease than, than, you know, cholesterol does at least based on a number of recent studies. Um, you know, so, you know, what I see is again, once again, if you look at the various factors that go into say cardiovascular disease, diabetes, obesity, smoking, family history, uh, chronic underlying inflammation, hypertension, all of those things, I mean, literally all of those tend to get better on a carnivore diet for most people, right? So if all those cardiovascular risk factors have improved and one, just one factor, LDL cholesterol goes up. Is that really, what's the net effect of that? And I say, you don't know. And so what I tell people, yeah, I mean, if you want to do a carnivore diet for whatever reason, let's say you've got Crohn's disease, let's say you've got intractable bipolar disorder and you've heard and you've seen people that's helped you and it, and it literally is helping you. Well, what do you do at that point? Your LDL cholesterol is up. So, I mean, do you stop that and go back to living in misery or do you say, okay, I, I understand this may be a risk factor for me. Let me just monitor it. Let me just uh, get some imaging. Let me just, you know, see, I, maybe I'll take a drug perhaps. And so there's, again, I, I consider this a therapeutic protocol for whatever, you know, I don't, you know, it's not a statement on humanity. It's not like all humans should be carnivores. I've never said that. Um, but what I like to say is this can be very effective for many, many people for various conditions. Maybe they're food addicts. I mean, we see a lot of people with 
food addiction, binge eating disorder. You know, they, I decided to interview a woman. She was 800 pounds. She's lost 500 pounds on a carnivore diet uh, in 22 months. Uh, you know, and she says she finally found the off switch, but she couldn't stop eating shock chocolates and sugar and candy and ice cream. And she went carnivore and all of a sudden she can finally, for the first time in her life, uh, stop consuming garbage. And she's literally lost 500 pounds. Now, are you going to tell that person, oh, you're, 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 you're making your quality of life worse, your health worse? Of course not. I mean, it wouldn't make any sense. So again, I think, you know, you have to give, you know, irrespective if, if, if whether or not it raises risk or not, and I think that's debatable, you still have to give people the choice. You know, it's like, what do you, you know, I've, I've asked this question dozens and dozens and maybe hundreds of times. I get people, I interview them. They've told me that, you know, carnivore is, you know, you know, whatever their MS is better. Their, their Crohn's disease is better. Their rheumatoid arthritis is better. They finally can get back to life. They finally feel like they're living again. And I say, well, what if your risk for cardiovascular disease is up 50%? Almost without exception, they say, I don't really care. I would prefer to wow. live this way than be in, in the miserable suffering that I was. And so, again, I think a bird in the hand is worth two in a bush. You know, if you're like, you know, if you're, if you've got to sit there and suffer and miserable to eke out an extra three years of life because of cardiovascular benefit, many people don't want that choice. I mean, they, they would, they would choose the other thing. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, you have to give people, you know, informed consent. You know, we, we've we've gone, we've gone through a period where informed consent was kind of pushed pushed by the pushed by the wayside for a while. But I think when you tell people, "Hey, look, um, maybe this is increasing your risk for cardiovascular disease," and it may be, it may not, it may be that it's not. Um, but your quality of life is better. Which do you choose? And I think most people choose, "Hey, I want a better quality of life here and now," because this is what I what I see, and, and this is what I this is what I uh, you know experience from a day to day basis. And I think. A lot of physicians, you know, like when you just have somebody come to your office and you're like, well, your, your cholesterol is a little high and, you know, uh, you know, here, well, let's put you on a statin or let's do this. That's kind of kicking the can. That's lazy medicine in my view. That's, that's kicking the can down the road. I mean, if they came to you for like a, a legitimate, I'm suffering for a problem and, and your answer to them is, well, let's dial your labs in, you know, <laughs> and, and not, and, and not truly get to the heart of the problem. What's causing their disease. Maybe you give them an anti-inflammatory medicine because their knee hurts. Um, you're not doing that patient any favor. You're probably, in fact, you know, generally making them worse. And so I think, uh, you know, uh, and we'll see with time, you know, there's, there's some study, you know, there, this is something that studies will have to, to be done to some degree. Now you'll never get, honestly, there's no studies, that'll, there's no studies that, that, that can ethically be done or even financially be done that will, that will answer those questions in a realistic manner. I mean, it is a limitation of, of you know, human nutritional science. I mean, yeah, you can do an animal study where you take some rats and their, their life expectancy is two years and they're going to die anyway. And you kill them at the end, slice them open. And you can't do that study with humans. I mean, we live, we live 80 years, right? And, you know, so who's going to pay for a study where humans are locked, locked in a metabolic ward for, for a hundred years, you know, who, and no one, no one would volunteer for that for anyway. So, I mean, to get the, the, the high quality evidence that's necessary, um, you know, it's like, like, a, like, you know, instantly, you know, there was this, this study just came out from Harvard University. It's, you know, nutritional epidemiology, which is horrible. And they keep doing the studies. They, they know it's garbage and they just keep doing them over and over again. It was like red meat has, you know, some increased risk for, you know, instance of type 2 diabetes. And then you look at their questionnaire and, you know, they, they include lasagna and sandwiches in their red meat category. It's like, well, that's not even good information. Plus, you're asking people to remember what they ate every four years. I mean, it's it's really garbage science. And most of this um, you know, these sort of outcome assumptions are based upon, you know, 
really, really flawed data. I mean, it's human recall data. I mean, I don't remember what I have. I mean, I remember what I ate because I eat the same damn thing every day. So it's not hard for me. But the average person, if you ask them what they've eaten for the last six months, it would be at best a guess. They would block out the crappy stuff they ate and they try to remember the good stuff. And we always see recall bias where they always try to make themselves look better. Well, I think I was eating more fruits and vegetables and really I was just eating a bunch of Doritos, you know? So it's bad data. So I, I don't buy, I find predictions about long-term predictions about cardiovascular disease, mortality to be sort of just like, I mean, it's almost like astrology. Do you, is it fair to say that you see the carnivore diet being more of a therapeutic option, something for people who are already suffering from problems who can't find a cure in more traditional ways? You're not saying, if I'm right in understanding, it's something that the general population who've got good health should be doing. Is that a fair Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, you know, if, if you're happy where you're at and you're doing great, good, do whatever you want. But I mean, I, I'm a physician, right? My goal is to take care of sick people and make them better. I mean, you know, if somebody wants to do it for fun or maybe they have some athletic benefits, that's great. I mean, that's, that's, I think that's, if you want to try for that reason, it's fine. But I mean, the primary goal in my view is just a therapeutic tool. Maybe you do it for six months. Maybe you do it for three years. I don't know. I mean, it's, it just depends. But I mean, that is what I see its utility is. It's not a statement on the condition of humanity. Humanity, humans are opportunistic omnivores. It's clear. I mean, you know, there's people that eat plants and still are still alive. So, I mean, there's people that eat a purely plant-based diet and they're still alive. It is a therapeutic tool. And if people will, will approach it that way and, and, you know, more doctors would be willing to use it, they would have a lot more success, I think, in certain cases. You know, God, I mean, autoimmune diseases, recalcitrant uh, uh, mental health disorders, uh, you know, uh, gut issues for sure. I mean, there's there's so many uh, things that it's been very effective for. So, I mean, I think that is a start. Now, if somebody wants to make it a lifestyle, hey, that's up to them. You know, that's fine. I, I, I honestly, I think it's fine too. I think you, you, I mean, I, I'm aware of people have been doing this for many decades, three, four, five, six decades, and they're doing great. So, I mean, it's, but I mean, I think the primary, I don't, you know, envision a world where every human on the planet's eating a carnivore diet. That's never going to happen. The same thing's never going to happen. They're all going to be a vegan diet. I mean, it's never going to happen. People are going to eat what they want to eat. Unfortunately, um, the food industry puts out this hyper palatable stuff that's awful for everybody and makes it as cheap as, you know, cheap as dirt. And so people gravitate to that because they, what, what is, what is the main thing that drives, you know, uh, food buying decisions is how much does it cost and what's it taste like? I mean, that's what 95% of the people go to the store. Well, that tastes good and it's cheap. That's how they make their dine, their, their purchasings. But when you're sick, you know, when you're suffering from a disease, you know, ideally you catch people at the beginning of, Hey, I've just been, di- been diagnosed with prediabetes. The general answer that you go to most doctors say, oh, we'll just watch it. Yeah, we'll just watch it, right? There's, there's very little advice. I mean, that's when you should be really aggressive. You, you've just developed, uh, you know, some early signs of Crohn's disease, you know? You know, the, the <laughs> that is the time to, to, to dial in the diet super tight and fix whatever's a problem, you know? And I think I think uh, uh, it is, a, in many cases, a gut issue. I mean, Crohn's disease obviously a gut issue, but I think a lot of these autoimmune diseases are initiated in, in, in the gut with gut dysfunction, hyperpermeability, dysbiosis, whatever. And you fix that right away early on, you can save that person from years and years of suffering. But what we'd rather do is put them on some expensive biologic drug because then the pharmaceutical company makes, you know, $60,000 a year on your infusions, you know? And so it's like, we our, our incentives are, are just wildly misaligned with what's good for actual humanity versus what's good for some corporate bottom line. Is the U.S. healthcare system broken beyond repair? You've obviously had frontline experience and, and some of the stuff you're talking about 
with the, the influence of big pharma, hyper palatable foods. Do you see a way back for for the for the? Well, I think you're going to have to have some some completely novel and alternative uh, options for people, and that's what my company Rivero does. I mean, we are literally physicians licensed in all 50 states that literally our mission is to fix people's nutrition, treat root cause of what's going on, fix the lifestyle and get people off meds where possible. You know, and I think that is not now, um, you know, there's some, some component. I mean, I think you could separate the healthcare system in, 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 de- in you know, different s- subcategories, you know, there's a chronic disease aspect of it, which I think we do a horrible job at. We spend, you know, three or four trillion dollars a year on chronic disease and we don't get anything for it. I mean, in, f- in fact, all we're doing is, you know, medicating and managing these disease. We're not, we're not curing anything. We're not reversing anything. And then there's, you know, obviously the, the, the acute side, the trauma, you know, heart attacks, traumas, you know, uh, childbirth, infections, things like that, where I think that, that role is, is actually done and managed generally pretty well. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's something that, you know, and I think there's a tipping point where, uh, more and more people are seeing one how much they spend on healthcare. You know, premium insurance premiums are through the roof, uh, and they're not getting much for it. And 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 what they are paying for generally doesn't result in much improvement in their quality of life. So I think people are going to get sick of that. And I think you know, and in, in my company and others like mine that are they're, I mean, they're launching all the time. There's all these startups are coming in there. Uh, that is going to be a significant player over the next you know few few coming years and decades. I mean, this, this is where we're going to see a lot of people are going to opt out of the sort of the allopathic, you know, go to the doctor, get a pill system and say, hey, look, I'm tired of feeling crappy. I want to actually get my life back. And so, so yeah, I think, I think, uh, I mean, pharmaceutical, the the pharmaceutical industry is not going to just voluntarily walk away and say, oh, oops, you know, mea culpa, we're we're sorry. They're going to fight for what, what they believe is, is in the best interest of of them and their stockholders or their shareholders rather. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be, you know, I, I wonder, you know, I, I'm just wondering how to how to go down because, you know, I mean, what's best for the population is not necessarily line up with what, what's best for the corporate bottom line. And those guys have a lot of money and a lot of lawyers and a lot of influence and they, they, they have politicians in their back pocket. I mean, that's I think that's a very fair statement. And so we'll see. I mean, you know, maybe they'll try to regulate other companies out of out of out of, out of the existence. I don't, hopefully not. I mean, hopefully enough people will sort of benefit and say, Hey, look, this is not something we're, we're willing to accept. And, you know, I think if you can get, uh, you know, the, the, the thing is all driven by profit. And I think if you can figure out a way to make getting people healthy, profitable, and I think there are ways, I think, you know, particularly for other corporations that employ these people, when you have a healthy workforce, you're a better company, you have better, you know, you've, you've better, uh, you know, skill level, better production. Uh, so I think, you know, you can, you can get Ford Motor Company and IBM and, you know, whatever, whatever big corporation you think of. And if, if they are, they're benefiting significantly financially because right now they're bleeding out dollars to healthcare. I mean, they're, you know, 30% of their, their expenses are playing, paying for employee, employee healthcare bills. And so if you can reduce that for them and then all of a sudden they've got an extra, you know, collectively trillion dollars to play with. And then, you know, we can change. I think it's changeable for sure. How excited are you by the emergence of personalized nutrition, personalized medicine, technology, AI, all these other things that are being spoken about as coming down the pipe in terms of how I can be given the bespoke, the perfect diet, the perfect medicine, the perfect training routine for my body, for my genome. Do you see that as a, as a source of optimism for giving people better health care and, and getting ahead of the curve in terms of disease and, and injury prevention? Well, I mean, I think, 
Uh, it depends on how it's used. I mean, if you look at like, you know, I mean, you know, people that are ultra wealthy, they can afford this stuff, you know, that have had, you know, that, that you know, that they are going to always benefit. They're always going to get whatever works best, the, the best supplements, the best medicines, the best, you know, treatment algorithms, so on and so forth. Um, and, you know, and that's an infinitesimally small group of people that, that, that are there. And so the question is, um, does this stuff actually truly move the needle and actually do that? Because I think, Really, I mean, these are all like minor things. You know, this is personalized, this is personalized that, this perfect supplement. I think those things make small differences. And, you know, if you had, you know, you have a hundred small differences, all of a sudden you made a, made a large difference. But I think until you um, are able to consistently tackle the big issues, and to me, the big issues are just a completely garbage diet, you know, perhaps, you know, inadequate activity and poor sleep until you can figure out a way to do that uh, consistently for not just people that have, you know, seven figure incomes, but for the average person, that's, that's really what we're talking about here. And so, um, yeah, I mean, there's always, I mean, I mean, it's like the longevity business. I mean, there's so many people that are, <laughs> I mean, you know, if you want to make a, if you want a good, a good racket going to longevity, because no one, you can't, there's no money back guarantee. There's no, there's no, how do you prove your, your value? You know? And I, you know, and, and you know, I'm very skeptical of that. All these guys are, Oh, I'm a longevity guru and do my routine and you're going to live it. You're going to live to 150. Well, no one's done it yet. And I always say, well, where's the proof? Now I can tell you people I've got, I mean, I literally have thousands of testimonials of people that are legit. I mean, I've interviewed these people legit that I've gotten off medications that I've dramatically improved their here and now stuff. And to me, that's more, um, more valuable than saying, well, I think, I think what we can get you to live to 110. How do you know? <laughs> How are you going to prove that? What if I die at 92? Are you going to give me my, my money back? No. <laughs> so well, one of the, one of the criticisms level that you've most often Dr. Baker is you are so passionate about the carnivore diet because of your business interests. And there is a clear clock conflict there. Do you understand where that criticism comes from and, and how much do you dispute it? Well, I mean, you know, I, let me just be clear. My, the Rivero company is not carnivore. I'll just say it right now, it's not a carnivore company. I mean, we'll be use a carnivore diet for selected patients, but it's more than that. I mean, it's, I mean, we'll be using various variations of diet. So I'm, I'm passionate about carnivore. Obviously, I wrote a book about it, right? So, uh, <laughs> and I, um, enjoy seeing people get healthier. That is my, that is my reason for doing this. I mean, um, you know, I like eating meat. You know, I mean, that's, that's clear. I mean, it's one of those things that, uh, is there, but I mean, as far as, you know, I made far more money as an orthopedic surgeon than I've ever made doing any carnivore stuff. I mean, I'm literally probably in the years since I've left that, I've probably lost myself six or $7 million. I mean, honestly, I mean, I've lost more money, uh, by, by advocating this, but I honestly, I have more, uh, satisfaction in my life now. Because I, you know, I just, I just do. I mean, you know, you know, yeah. I mean, I do surgery. I'd replace somebody's knee, and they come back, you know, three months after they're healed up, saying, "Hey, doc, my knee feels great. Thank you. Pat me on the back. Here's a, here's my wife biked you, baked you a cake, or something like that." Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's, I appreciate it. It was nice, but it's nothing compared to what I see today. I mean, I get people that are saying, "Look, I was ready to commit suicide. I was so miserable, and now." I just had a new child and I've got a new job and I'm working and my life is good. I mean, it's, it's such an order of magnitude difference in the, the personal reward I get for this. So, I mean, like I said, if, if I was in it for financial reasons, I would have never gone here. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, I have an active medical license. I can go back and practice medicine any day if I want. 
I don't want to do that. Well, I was going to say, because you struck off in 2017, but that was overturned in 2019, if I've got my dates correct. But there's no desire for you to, to go back into that profession? No, no. I mean, I, I, I have, <laughs> I mean, one of the things, you know, when I went through that whole sort of thing with the hospital is I was, I was incredibly naive in my, in my sort of, uh, my thought of how medicine work. I thought, you know, you do the right thing and you're rewarded for that. And what I found out very painfully was that, you know, if you're advocating for, for health and lifestyle and it's impacting the bottom line of a corporation or a hospital and they're losing money, they're not interested in that. And that's, that's the whole crux here. And so I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to go back. So is, that why you struck, is that why you were struck off? Sorry to jump in, but you, for a little bit of context there for people that might not understand, what, what was the yeah, situation? Yeah, so I mean, this is, gosh, this is going, this is really going back to like 2015, I think. And so uh, I was, you know, I was a head of orthopedics at, at a hospital. Um, I was incredibly busy. I was, the hospital, you know, really liked what I was doing. They put me on billboards. Uh, put me on radio shows, promoted the hell out of me. I was, I was, you know, I was their golden boy, more or less. I was doing more surgeries than anybody in the whole hospital. And then I had the audacity to start playing with my own diet and figuring out that how, how it helped me. And then um, we started to, I started to, you know, approach patients with, with making dietary shifts, you know, purely for the reason so I could do a surgery on them because they were obese and we wanted them to lose surgery so they would have less complications. And so what I started to notice, however, was um, many times, even in the absence of any significant weight loss, their pain would go away. So the reason for surgery would go away. I had people that were scheduling, I'm going to replace your knee in six weeks. We got to get you to lose 20 pounds, blah, blah, blah. And they come back two weeks later and, Hey, my diet, my knee doesn't hurt anymore. And I'm like, well, that's weird. Well, if your knee doesn't hurt, we're not doing surgery on you. So I started canceling surgeries. And then as I saw more and more, I said, Hey, there's something here. Maybe we can have these people avoid these, you know, really, you know, big procedures that, that have potentials for complications. And I approached the hospital administration and said, Hey guys, I would like to spend, you know, half a day a week, just, you know, counseling patients on lifestyle stuff. And they said, you know, that's a good thought, but no, <laughs> we don't want you to do that. <laughs> and to me, I was like, that's really strange. And so I did it anyway. You know, I, I mean, I, I went back and forth six months or something like that. And finally I said, screw it, I'm going to do it anyway. And then all of a sudden I get this, you know, this, this so-called peer review thing. And they basically suspend my, suspend my ability to practice because, you know, that's something you can do through peer review. Hospital peer review is a protected process. You have almost no rights during that process. Couldn't even, I could not even see the, the data they were using to incriminate me with, you know? And so I, you know, I, I left the state medical license said, Hey, we've got a complaint from a hospital. Um, what do you want to do about, it? do you want to contest this? And I said, well, what's the story in contesting? He said, well, you're gonna have to wait about a year and a half because we're booked up and it's going to probably cost you a quarter of a million dollars. And I was like, well, that's, that doesn't seem very good. Uh, you know, and so I, they said, I said, what is the other option? They said, well, you just, if you go to this place, the centralized place where they can assess you, they can do an independent review on you. And I said, well, let me do that. Cause I knew I was fine. I didn't think I had any problem. So I go do an independent review and they said, yeah, you're totally fine. There's nothing wrong with the way you practice. Go back to work. All right. And so, you know, but the, you know, that process took like six months for them to write the reports. And then when I submitted it back to the state medical board, they got it and they said, okay, now we have to wait till our next meeting, which was like, I don't know, four or five months later. And then they said, okay. And then they had to make, then they said, you can apply for your license again. I had to apply. And then that took another six months. So all in all, it took like two years to resolve this thing. You know, even though, even though, I mean, the decision to, to, you know, that I was fine was like 
within a few months, it took two years. And by that time, I had already like started doing all these other things. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not interested in that crap anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at now. So that's the sort of the, I mean, it's, there's it, a, it's a long, long drawn out thing, but that's the, uh, kind of the overview of that story. But, you know, I'm, you know, I hope <laughs> that I never have to go back to, to operating on people again, because that would mean I failed in this new task, which I think is more valuable and more important, which I'm quite honestly, I think I'm, I'm honestly better at. I mean, I thought I was a pretty good surgeon, but I, I think I'm more better at what I do now. You know, I think, you know, what I do is kind of unique in a way. And I think yeah. that, um, I, I've got a skill set for this that, you know, a lot of a lot of people have just because of the experiences I've had, right? I mean, I've got the experiential knowledge and observation and, and maybe leadership qualities that 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 put me uh, in a role that that I'm more better suited for. And so I'm discovering a little bit later in life that this is what my my if you want to call it a calling, so to speak, this is where I'm at. You're one of the the leading proponents of the carnivore diet. There's two other names I think get batted around quite a lot in, in in Paul Salabino and the Liver King. I would say they were more controversial figures than you. They're going out of their way. Obviously, the Liver King's had had his own issues with with performance enhancing drugs. My question, Doctor Baker, is: Do you feel that these very polarizing figures have helped or hindered? public information around the carnivore diet because they've obviously got a lot of attention but it's very easy to label them as, as kind of quacks or, or very far out on the fringes do you think they've helped or or hindered the conversation well i think i mean honestly i think the net effect has been has been positive i mean yes i agree it's a double-edged sword you, know, you get people in there saying i'm you know and he's got taking all his steroids and lying about that stuff and acting like he's eating massive amounts of liver when it turns out he was probably lying about that stuff too i mean that's obviously i mean it, it, it hinders him I mean, this is an, this is a, uh, you know, ultimately he's hurt his own reputation, right? Um, it has brought a lot of more people into the sort of animal based meat centric world. And I think, you know, what I say is, um, sunlight is the best disinfectant. So the more people with eyes on it and they're looking and seeing what's happening, they're seeing the results are pretty good. I mean, I mean, I mean, you don't have to go far to see people that are raving about the benefits they've had on, 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 on a meat based diet. And so I think, that, you know, in net has been a good thing. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and this is what the media does. When, when I was, you know, five, six years ago when I was first starting, they, they try to paint me as some extremist wacko. Um, and I'm very, I'm very, I'm kind of conservative, man. I'm like, I don't believe in most of this stuff. I'm not, you know, I think most stuff is BS. I mean, the only reason I've been a proponent of this and advocate is this because I am unequivocally convinced of its benefit in, in many cases. And so I think it's something that the world needs to know about. Um, but I mean, yeah, early on, I mean, even before liver King and, and Saladino and stuff, what they would show in the media was some, you know, housewife that's gone to eating raw brains Oh, her diet of raw brains. That's the carnivore. They, they try to portray it as, you know, you're like a cannibal or something like that. And I'm here saying, Hey, just go eat ground beef and an egg. I mean, it's very normal type foods that most people wouldn't be at all concerned about. And I still, that's still my approach. It's very simple. It doesn't have to be this extreme stuff. You don't have to be eating, you know, baboon testicles once a week or anything like that. So I mean, it's like, you know, so, but they don't want to show that they don't want, they don't want us to be reasonable people. And if anybody listens to me, I'm very nuanced about, it. I mean, I'm very, I'm very much non-zealot like about this. I say, if it works great, if it doesn't go do something else, it's not the only way to get healthy. There's plenty of ways to get healthy, but it is an option. I mean, if you eat blueberries with your carnivore, I don't care. I mean, whatever's working for you is fine. Uh, some people need to be more exclusionary. I think there's a, there is a definite role for a very, tight elimination diet for for whatever condition it is but they don't want to 
they don't want you to be reasonable. They want you to be some wacko, crazy, you know, right wing, neo-Nazi, racist bullshit. I mean, it's all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm generally a pretty middle of the road, you know, pretty laid back, you know, not extreme guy, but I'm just like, this is what I found that works for people. And I, I, I think it's important to share that. I'm glad you brought that up because it doesn't take long when you're researching the carnivore diet to end up on forums or Reddit. And it seems to me that there's, for people that are very, very passionate about the carnivore diet, it does seem to be a very black and white thing. And there's also kind of a conspiracy theorist, anti-vax, anti-science, anti-establishment kind of vibe that appears to go hand in hand with the carnivore diet. Do you, have you noticed that, that yourself? And, and if so, why do you think that those things exist in that environment? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I see that. And, and, you know, I mean, there are, there are people that are carnivore advocates, which I just, I shake my head. I said, this is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, you, should, uh, you know, uh, but you know, Hey, you, you know, people are going to say what they want to say. And there's people that are, that become, uh, sort of hyper polarized. Uh, yes, there is a, uh, you know, there's a, there's a generalize your buck in the system type of thing. I mean, you know, the nutritional guidelines say whole grains, fruits and vegetables, minimize you know, saturated fat, eat, you know, if you're gonna eat some meat, eat lean meat, mostly eat a bunch of plants. So you're going against a major uh, sort of system recommendation. And so it's very easy to say, well, if they lied to me about meat, what else did they lie about me? And then there's a lot of people that are, that are upset about the whole, you know, pandemic sort of situation, how it was handled. So a, a certain percentage of those people are like, well, I don't trust the government. I don't trust the CDC. I don't trust the FDA. All these, you know, the IRS, everything's corrupt. You know, I'm, you know, I'm obviously talking about U.S. Uh, uh, Mm-hmm. It's not where you where you're lo- you're located where in Australia where are you at? No, UK, UK. I'm sorry, sorry, UK stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's so you've got this sort of a crossover comment. The same thing that we got this group of you know people in Bitcoin. I don't know if you're familiar with the Bitcoin stuff from the finance side, and a lot of Bitcoin guys are carnivore too. And so I think there's just this generalized whatever you know. It's like we, if if we don't we, we're just anti the establishment. And I think some of those people do it just because it is uh the cool thing to do i guess or, or it's being you're being countercultural i suppose uh and then there's people that do it which i think generally benefit from it and so i think you know it's it's uh it's I, I, it's unfortunate that we politicize diet because i think this diet can benefit anybody it doesn't matter your sex race religion sexual belief orientation i think it's something that you know helps people profoundly um and unfortunately you know it's been polarized i mean the advantage is you know, if you got 50% of the people or whatever, 40% of the people that are on the right and they all adopt the carnivore diet, well, that's better than the 1% that were doing it before, right? So, I mean, it's kind of like, uh, I mean, there's there, there's pros, there, again, there's pros and cons of all this stuff. Is it typically young men as well? I'm just trying to get a sense of, of, of what draws people into this this, this worldview. You know, toxic masculinity is something that, that is discussed a lot as well. There's a lot of young men out there lost kind of fighting back against the system. Does it tend to be young guys that latch onto you the hardest and the quickest? Uh, I would say the demographic is male dominant. Uh, but, you know, I, you know, I, and I don't know for sure. I mean, but I know like when I've done surveys, uh, there's been studies. Uh, I think it skews maybe 60, 40 men to women. I mean, I think that's been a pretty even. Done. But there's plenty of women. There's certainly plenty of women there. I would say that, you know, the age demographic, honestly, honestly, it's an older demographic because most people that are younger you, know, you can eat whatever you want and you feel pretty good. It's not until people start developing illness where they start to, you know, like a lot of the people that follow me are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, and it's because they generally, generally were hurting. You know, usually to motivate people to change, there has to be a pain point. 
And, you know, when you walk around every day and you're miserable, that's a pretty good pain point. So honestly, it's probably skews slightly male and and probably slightly older. Now there are some guys, you know, like I said, in that other demographic, the, you know, I'm, I'm countercultural. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a toxic, <laughs> I'm toxically max masculine or whatever. And I'm proud of it, whatever. I mean, that, that, that occurs too, for sure. And, and steak is considered a masculine food. Um, you know, I, but you know, gosh, women need to, women thrive on that too. It really shouldn't be a masculine food, but, uh, yeah, that. Are there any differences when it comes with women, just in terms of any other dietary considerations? Obviously, women are not just small men. There's different physiological things going on there. Are there any other considerations that if a woman is beginning to consider the carnival diet that she needs to be aware of that's not applicable to a guy? Yeah, yeah, there are. Um, and this goes to, a, you know, like I said, I've, I've had the fortune to interact literally thousands of people. I literally interact with people on this diet every single day of my life, seven days a week. I conduct a meeting. I talk about things. And what I've consistently seen are a few things. One is certain conditions benefit from a more fat centric, you know, higher fat percentage, you know, maybe a ketogenic approach. Now, carnivore diet doesn't necessarily, a lot of people assume you're in ketosis because you're on a carnivore diet. That's not necessarily true. It depends on how much protein you're eating, how much you're eating, how frequently you're eating, other, other, you know, how, 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 how much exercise you're doing, so on and so forth. And so I think for women, more so than men, and there's obviously exceptions, but I mean, women tend to benefit from maybe a slightly higher fat percentage than men do. Women tend to benefit from probably more frequent feedings than men do. A lot of guys can get away with eating one big meal a day. Like I do that oftentimes. I'll just sit down and eat three pounds of steak and I'm good for the day. Um, women can't, very often women can't do that or they struggle to do that or they, they under eat because they try to do that. And then they have these problems of just, you know, going hypocaloric and they're, they get tired and fatigued and their thyroid starts acting up and their hair starts getting thin. So yeah, there are some differences, you know, um, I can't, I, I wouldn't say blankly across the court that all women need to eat high fat, all women need to eat frequently, but the general trend is there. Of all the people I follow, I don't think anyone is a prolific social media poster as much as, as you are. And I think from our conversation, there's, there's a lot more nuance and a lot more subtlety to your beliefs. And I think most people would take it face value on social media. Dr. Baker, the amount that you post going after vegans, you must enjoy being a social media troll, right? You can't be doing it for as long as you're doing it and as frequently as you're doing it. If you don't enjoy ruffling feet feathers, well, right? I mean, you know, if, if you don't like what you do, then you're not going to enjoy it, whatever you do. And, and, you know, like I said, I am a competitor and I'm very passionate about wanting to provide, you know, to, to ultimately, ultimate goal is to, you know, improve the lives of as many people as possible. And I think this is a message to do. Now, do I, do I think everybody needs to do it? No, but I think, I think millions upon millions upon millions of people need to be exposed to this and potentially try that. And I know that through social media, uh, that is probably the most effective tool we have at this point. You know, there's no, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not here. The, the, you know, they're not putting me on the front of ABC news because this is, they're, it's not going to do that, right? They're not going to do that. So how do you get attention on social media? Do you sit there and quietly post studies? No one cares. I mean, I, I've posted thousands of studies and I get, you know, three people comment on it. You put up some stupid vegan meme and you get, thousands of people laughing and whatever commenting and whatever and so it's really just a game it's learning how to play that game to get as many eyes over there and then maybe some of those people will actually see the studies that i put up you know this conversation which i think is you know more reflective of what i actually believe um is hard to produce in a three you know in, in a 30 second TikTok, right i mean it's, it's just hard i mean it's impossible to do that so you have to go with what gets you some of the views or gets you some of the clicks. I mean, that's just the reality of the, of the, of the situation. And then hopefully some people will come back and, and listen to the long form content or at least try it, you know? And like I said, and, you know, really, I mean, you know, I mean, how many people are, 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 are motivated by 
this style of conversation or reading a study. Some are, but many are. Many are many are very emotional. That's why veganism has been popular because all they do is show some pig in a cage and say, oh, look at the suffering you're causing. Please stop. It's not a very logical argument. It's an emotional argument. It appeals to our very reptilian basic senses. And so that's how a lot of people are, 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 you know, influenced. And so you, I mean, I think you have to utilize that and realize it. And so if you can make somebody laugh or make somebody, you know, just kind of get, even get angry about something, um, then, you know, like I said, I think it's a war. I, I literally think we're in a war for our sovereignty, for our food sovereignty going forward. I think there's people that clearly want to, you know, basically restrict access to meat, you know, some place, some people would love to ban it. I mean, there's people out there that, you know, the, the UN uh, undersecretary for the UN was like, hey, meat, meat eaters should be stuck out on a, outside of a restaurant with the smokers. You know, there's people that are out there that actually have positions of power. And so I think we have to um, fight against that. And, you you know, and if, if you're in a war and you bring a knife to a gunfight, fight, you're going to lose. And so I think, you know, you've got like, you know, you've got like, what, what is it, PETA? You see this, the ridiculous stuff they post all the time. It's all just crap. And these other people are saying, well, I'm a doctor and I don't need to think to that level. But there's no PETA for me. There's no Mita. There's no sort of, you know, whatever. There's no, there's no equivalent. So I got to be that guy, right? I've got to be the, the funny guy, the goofy guy, the, the, you know, the mean guy, um, because we don't have an organization that's dedicated to doing that. It's well funded, by the way. I'm doing this, you know, basically, you know, gratis. I mean, it's just like basically out of my own sort of time and effort. But I mean, for me, um, you know, the goal is to, I'm a competitor. I mean, I've set world records. I mean, this is something I'm competing at. Basically, I, I look at it as a competition. How do you grow as rapidly as possible? And I don't have I don't have the, the benefit of, you know, being a, a beautiful female. I can just take off my top and dance around or some famous actor or something like that, where you just automatically get all this social media. So you got to fight for it. You got to work very hard. And, uh, you know, I mean, and, and I get it. Some people get offended and some people, well, I don't want to listen to you. You're stupid. But at the same time, you know, the accounts are, are, are growing more. That's why, you know, like, like you said, the liver King, that's why he got whatever millions of followers. Cause he was ridiculous. Right. And I mean, his, you know, and his, sort of, I think, you know, raison d'etre, you know, his rationale was, I just want to make money selling supplements. I think, honestly, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, they were just out to make, you know, they're, they're, they're using this stuff ultimately as a, as a vehicle to sell a bunch of supplements. I'm not doing that. I don't have a line of supplements. I, I think most of them are wasting money, quite honestly, even, even some of these liver supplements and stuff like that. My goal is to let's get people here and fix people. Now, um, hopefully the company we have, you know, that we founded will, you know, be very successful. I, I mean, honestly, I hope it's a multi-billion dollar company and, you know, I, I retire some rich guy and I'm great. I'm great. But that, the only way that happens for me is not because I snake old people out of a bunch of overpriced supplements. It's that I got people actually healthier. I've actually improved their quality of life. And, and to me, I can, if, you know, that's the best of both, you know, that's the best scenario that I can actually do real good in the world. And then also at the same time, you know, have a, have a, you know, a good life from that. So. You're 57. Uh, well, I'm, 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 two, I'm two months away from that. I'm almost 57, so I will be soon. 56. But, but Dr. Baker, you look better than most guys 30 years younger than you, right? Is this really just a combination of the carnivore diet and great training? Or is there a liver king type expose of all the, all, all the, all the supplements and all the other stuff you're taking about to, to come out? No, no, there will not be because, you know, here, so, I mean, what I will say though, I mean, just because I want to be clear about this, the reason I'm in shape and, you know, probably look good is because I train. I mean, that, I don't care what your diet is. That is the biggest factor. I don't care if you're on a vegan diet, a carnivore diet, a whatever plant, but Mediterranean diet, training is going to be the biggest distinguishing factor. And I train my ass off. I've been doing it for 40, 45 years now. And I, I plan to do it for the next 
50 years, God willing, if I live that long. So, um, but no, I, I have always competed as a drug-free athlete. I was very, in fact, if you, if you go back and look at my history, you know, you can look, you know, when I was competing as a powerlifter, I always competed in USAPL or NASA or WA, you know, WABLF, all the drug tested federation because I was anti-drug uses then. Uh, you know, when I was competing in um, Highland Games, you know, when I was a world champion that they wanted to, this is back in the early 2000s, I think it was, and they were trying to get TRT approved for the master's division. I was adamantly opposed to that. I said, that's bullshit because these guys are going to use it to, to enhance their performance. So I've always been, as an athlete, vocally opposed to that because I think it's cheating, quite honestly. And then fortunately, as I've gotten older, I don't feel I need any of that stuff. I mean, I'm stronger than 99% of the guys my age. You know, I've got, you know, probably as much muscle as many, you know, yeah, if I got on drugs, I'd be bigger and stronger. Sure. That's true. Uh, you know, sexual function is totally fine. I'm a 56 year old guy and wake up with an erection every morning. So I don't need any of that stuff. I don't want to take that stuff. I mean, you know, I think there's downs a little, there's a legitimate downside to these drugs. And quite honestly, I'm very critical about testosterone replacement for men because I think most men, particularly the younger guys we see in their thirties and twenties and start taking this stuff. I mean, it's almost always a consequence. Now there are exceptions, but it's almost always a, a consequence of these guys being metabolically unhealthy, just garbage lifestyle, not getting enough sleep, drinking beer, staying out too late, not exercising, eating a crappy diet. If you would just fix that, you know, spend a year getting in shape, cleaning that stuff up, you wouldn't need this this testosterone replacement stuff. I'm I'm very happy to be where I'm at. Um, could I be stronger and faster and, and whatever and better athlete if I took that stuff? Yeah, I could be, but. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, and, and I've seen people that are my age that are in better shape than me, that are stronger than me, that, that I think are not taking drugs. I mean, I think the problem is we've gotten, we've gotten so many people that are on drugs now that they just assume everybody's on drugs. And, um, you know, I mean, I'm not that impressive. I mean, I, I know I look at myself, well, you're decent, but I'm not like, oh, you're like the, you know, some Adonis, like super, super thing. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm much better than the average guy, but I'm not like, you know, this, I mean, the liver king guy looks, looks, you know, like, unnaturally i mean just whether he's on drugs or not and clearly he, he apparently was but um you know it's it's you you look at me you don't see the same thing you know if, you know I, you know sometimes I'll, I'll get a picture i'll take a picture. i'm pumped up i'm in the right lighting and i look a little muscular but i mean it's like right now i'm like eh, you know i'm like you know <laughs> I'm, I'm you know a guy with a decent amount of muscle but i'm not like oh he's got to be on drugs type of stuff so so yeah i mean there's uh you know I, I, there's no no hidden that in my in my closet right now <laughs> 